This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. Thanks to all our members for making our truth journey a reality. And to listen to part two of tonight's interview and all of our material, just go to veritasradio.com and click on the subscribe button. You will receive your login immediately. And have you listened to Sanitas Radio yet? Go to sanitasradio.com and find out how every week we will declassify the secrets to health and longevity with a focus on mind, body, and spirit. And speaking of health, it doesn't matter how much organic food you eat, how much you exercise, or how many supplements you take. If the water you're drinking is not the best, then you're back to square one. I'm a big advocate of ionized, clean, and healthy alkaline restructured drinking water that's loaded with beneficial antioxidants and minerals. Click on the water button on our website and find out. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And tonight's special guest is the father of the term crop circles, Colin Andrews. Right now, on Veritas. I floated from my bed through the house and out to the field, drawn by a brilliant light when I was only five. In the light, 
I saw pictures of our future Earth, which appeared to shorten her time alive. I have wished that this was just a dream, especially when the same thing happened again, and the same concerning pictures, it would seem. I have worked all of my life since then to help avoid this fate, and the thought that it was a dream has faded, because today's events reflect that the Earth is in dire strait. The magnitude of what faces our planet causes people to back away. They question whether a paradigm shift is really underway. Are conditions really that bad? Is the environment really struggling and is global climate change real? Let us not turn away. Let's take a step forward, open our minds and reveal how our future is on the brink, yet how together we might heal our precious home, the world we share, Mother Earth. Nature and human-driven forces, climate and weather change, new diseases, population growth, global politics and economics, religious discord, social tension, all of these forces demand our attention. Everything's moving towards the same, a crash point that won't sustain. In the past, each arena had inbuilt abilities to overcome, but this is no longer true. The self-correcting systems have been stretched beyond their limit, no longer able to reset as before. Consequently, we are executing the last move on the chessboard. Global warming is accelerating as mankind interferes. Mother Earth and the solar system also play a hand. But what we know is that our actions are driving temperatures ever higher, past the point of no return. As rising man-made carbon levels increase the greenhouse effect into a cycle we cannot reverse. In the light I saw, there was more than ruin. There was the option for repair. First, we must correct the thoughts that take us into despair. The mindset that separates each person from another must actively be shifted. When the belief is that we are each alone, we will always seek our own advantage and be suspicious of the motives of others. Here is the truth. We are not alone. We are part of something much bigger and more incredible than we can imagine. What connects us is greater than what separates us. And if we can extend our identity from that of self to that of global family, miracles can happen. I continue to wish today that our love of Mother Earth is enough to find a new sense of self. We can influence the world with heartfelt intention. It requires two essential elements. First, that we work on our own inner issues to become clear in our motives, needs, and intent. Second, that we approach this work with sincere honesty and love. With these accomplished, we are well-placed to lead our leaders in new directions. Anything is possible. When our action is fueled with love and guided by intuition, now is the time for us all to step forward and be our true selves. At the core of who we are is the capacity to generate and promote love. The word is overused and its power diminished through sentimentality, but love is the force of life. Nothing less is required at this time. All pretensions must be dropped. Fear of being judged and ostracized can no longer control our actions. Sincerity 
must prevail. We cannot access inner truth and connect to the greater whole without sincerity. This vital adventure awaits and our children are watching. This vital adventure awaits and our children are watching. And this is his third appearance. A very good friend of mine, this radio program on a worldwide audience. I'm referring to the father of the term crop circles, Colin Andrews. He has written a new book with his wife, Cynthia, titled On the Edge of Reality. Hidden technology, powers of the mind, quantum physics, paranormal phenomena, orbs, UFOs, harmonic transmissions, and crop circles. Probably one of the most comprehensive book titles I have ever seen. And I'm so happy to have him back and don't need to read his full bio because you know him already. But if you want to read it, we have a comprehensive version at our website. And directly from Guilford, Connecticut, I'm honored to welcome Colin Andrews back to his Veritas home. Hello, Colin, and welcome back. Hi, Mal. It's always very nice to be with you. Thanks very much for having me back. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And I was laughing a little bit regarding the title of your book because it's a, <laughs> the title is a book on its own. <laughs> yes, it is. I, I wonder really why they went to, uh, you know, that far. But uh, nonetheless, it kind of really does tell you what's inside the book. It's over 300 pages and uh, 30 years worth of work there, Mel. Absolutely. And what motivated you to put all of this together in one book? Well, it, it's really what the, con the conclusion of the you know long investigation, which started with crop circles, uh, culminated in uh, a consciousness and an interaction which traversed those subjects. And uh, having really satisfied myself that this really was what was happening, that there was another mind involved in all of them, um, that uh, the uh, this book just had to be written. Uh, there would be no way uh, I would feel comfortable to settle on the results or conclusions of one subject without including them all. And I do really genuinely believe, uh, as I think now many others do too, that have read the book and have, have their own views um, on what is happening in our world, uh, that we are on literally on the edge of another reality, a new reality. And uh, what's happening across that spectrum of subjects uh, is essential to understanding where we're going. So uh, that, that's really what, what led to the book being written. Uh, it might well be, uh, I believe probably is, you know, my final piece of um, published work in this form. You know, I, um, I really did want to get this out there and uh, with the help of my wife Cynthia who is a large part of the book she has very much her own hand on this um, you know it has been written and the poem that you read before we started this vital adventure awaits and our children are watching I do this show for the children action moves people well, uh, I am deeply touched and uh, somewhat uh, afraid uh, of our future as it stands on this day as we speak, Mel. Uh, there is the potential uh, for um, the end of an experiment, whoever's experiment this is, the life that we are living along with our children and other species on this planet. Uh, but it's encumbersome, I feel, our central 
a responsibility to provide hope for our children. And in such a gloomy environment on many levels, we have to strive uh, to attempt to correct, course correct, uh, where we are along this path. And uh, when I was invited to contribute um, to this CD, Action Moves People, along with uh, many artists, um, some of them very well known, um, I chose to put together uh, this particular poem. It also does speak to an event that happened to me, actually twice, it's two events, that were extremely similar in nature uh, when I was five years old, and I think we touched upon this on our last show together. Uh, it was what uh, some would call a classic uh, abduction-type uh, situation. And out of that, which has kind of been in the background, it's hung into, gnawed into my soul, uh, that event which I could never explain, or well, my family and my doctors are very fully aware of, of it because I was left uh, physically affected, I mean, by uh, these experiences, which I should, I guess, relate very briefly. Um, you know, I, I, I had uh, blisters, what appeared to be, appeared to be chemical burns, uh, uh, over my uh, body, almost my entire body, uh, for many, many months. Doctors could not resolve what had caused them, but what I knew was that I had um, these strange experiences that, that, that started this all off, and what they were, I related to them as dreams. Uh, because, you know, I was five years old. I didn't know any other way of uh, explaining or describing this. It, it felt initially like um, as I lay in my bed at a place called a little village called Enum Alamein, just a small village north of Andover near Stonehenge. Uh, I was uh, asleep uh, with my family, my uh, sister, my younger brother, mum and dad in this house. And I felt suddenly a tugging. It felt like something uh, tugging at my solar plexus. And uh, suddenly there was, it's very hard to explain it, like I disappeared through the tugging uh, sensation and I was suddenly floating. And I was looking down uh, at my sister and my younger brother in the same bedroom. That's where we slept together, all together in the one room. And... Uh, I was floating just under the ceiling uh, out towards the outside wall that faced um, a, a field at the back of our house there. And uh, that is where the, the actual physical memory, the real memory, uh, terminates. But when I was hypnotized uh, by uh, Professor uh, Harder, Jim Harder, who also hypnotized Betty Hill, Ben and um, uh, Benny, uh, sorry, um, Betty Hill and, and Barney. And Barney, I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. Um, and also Travis Walton uh, hypnotized myself, and um, and a lot more came then, of course. And what came was that I continued through that wall and went into a, a very bright white light, which was stationary and uh, in the field. Uh, it was actually on the field at the back of our house. Um, I re recall, uh, recalled during that process, which took about 45 minutes apparently, I really only felt that it was about five, that's how much it felt like to me in uh, hypnotized time. But my wife was there, as was um, Dr. Harder's wife also, when this uh, was 
process was being undertaken. And I uh, approached the white light, and uh, there were two uh, military uh, people, two, um, two men in U.S. military uniforms, which I floated in between, went right between the middle of them, and they were either side of what appeared to be this entry point into the bright light. And uh, they were—they had very serious faces on them. They uh, didn't show any emotion whatsoever. They were real serious-looking characters. And uh, as I went into that light, and, and no control of my own whatsoever, I knew this was nothing that I was controlling. Uh, this was being done to me. And uh, as I went into that light, which was very bright, suddenly it was a calm, easy environment, a lighting level which was easy to deal with. It was kind of an amber color light, uh, much like a tungsten light that we um, have had before our fluorescence. And the floating maneuvering uh, t t kind of turned me around horizontally and then flipped me and I went down onto a all one piece kind of plinth. It was um, looked like a little bit like a shoe hub that uh, you know one re repairs shoes on, a hob, and it was an all in one piece. It looked like aluminum uh, material and uh, as I was gently placed on this uh, I was looking at my feet straight down across my body to my feet and uh, there was an entity um, there facing me um, with almond shaped eyes a little larger than normal but not overly so um, and then a whole conversation took place all of it inside of my head um, you know, with the transference of information came into my head. It wasn't anything that I heard being said. Uh, it started with the entity conveying to me that it was sorry. It's saying we are sorry to be doing this to you, but this is for a future time. Well, this was when I was five. I had never heard of a crop circle. Uh, I had never heard of UFOs. Uh, I was a very young child, and yet to this day, uh, there is a circle where that bright white light was at that time, still growing in a very dark green grass, different to all the other grass in the field, which is still there today. We've overflown in aircraft for pho photography. And uh, there was me inside the circle um, before uh, I coined the term crop circles by many years. Uh, it's a bizarre thing. I spoke only to my family and my doctors about all of this and have my medical records now to show and prove to the world that uh, this, uh, these events actually occurred to me. So that really was the front end. Um, I apologize for the long response to your question, but it was the front end, is the front end, the start, the, the beginning of a poem which I've written um, called um, My Wish for Mother Earth. And it really began uh, with that event um, right back in the 50s when I was five years old. Do you think, in reading the book, of course, I learned new things, uh, for example, and I want you to discuss this after I, I, I addressed this question, but you also say that your family was abducted without you, or they had a sighting without you, but we'll, we'll, we'll address this in a minute. I wanted to, to say this. In 1983 was when you were driving, all of a sudden you looked to your left, and you noticed 
the circles in the wheat field. Hundreds of other drivers were doing the same and nobody noticed. Do you think that perhaps during this abduction at the age of five, something was placed there so that in the future, as they say, in the future, you would notice and you would actually be the one that would bring the term crop circles to the world. And more people now seem to be opening up to new realities that before they wouldn't expect. I think it's perfectly possible now. I, I'm an engineer, as you know, so I, I have been trained in a mode of thinking which is, I hope, and is seen and recognized as rational, you know, based upon black and white yes and no's. That's what engineers do in resolving problems. They're physical re reality in front of them that they have to resolve. But having said that, um, you know, after many years of researching what was initially the crop circles, it began fairly to become evident that we weren't going to answer all of this in terms of uh, pure and known science, that we had to think outside of the box. And in thinking outside of the box, I was always aware of something I never spoke about and was that I was very aware of some things well outside the box that might well have biased me um, for a trigger to be thrown when I, as you rightly said, it's in the book, um, looked the same as those many hundreds of other drivers on a major British highway just west of um, Stonehenge near Winchester in Hampshire. Well, as they were looking left and carrying on their normal day, I was on a normal day too. On my way to a meeting as a senior official in regional government, I had about 200 people under my management, direct management, and it was a normal day until I looked left and in half of one second, my life changed. And it changed because that meant something to me. I looked at five circles which hadn't been given a term by the world at that time, uh, became known as crop circles when I you know, basically just uh, termed them that. Um, I looked left and saw five circles forming a cross. Well, as that happens, it was also what we perceive to be a religious symbol, a Celtic cross that may also be part of this programming towards future of future events many pieces coming together to eventually create um, a story a play a picture and a change in our physical reality uh, certainly when i saw those circles everything stopped i stopped my vehicle i went down and made something of it i didn't simply drive on this literally changed my life i my marriage was disintegrated as a result of what this meant to me and what i inserted into its investigation i left my country um, i left my profession uh, as well uh, paid as i was for it um, everything changed because i had a job to do and that's how it felt to me, and it's how it still feels to me. And it feels to me like I'm one of many thousands of other people who have agreed, it would seem at some level, to return or come to this planet um, to carry out a particular function, albeit single spokes not to consider any one of us as important any more important than the other person but simply another spoke play, being placed in an evolving uh, uh, 
existence on our planet. In other words, we have become part of an evolving consciousness, a consciousness which is central to all species, of which we also pluck and derive our future. This reminds me of the story of the natives who didn't see the ships coming, yeah. but the shaman did. What was different between the hundreds of drivers who couldn't see the circles, but you did? What made you different? I think what made it different was two things. One is I had had two experiences which impressed something upon me when I was extremely young and uh, couldn't really um, effectively uh, understand what was happening, but these were real events. And then my parents also had um, experiences with my younger brother. Um, and I don't know whether you want me to talk, address that now, Mel, or Yes, later. yes, please. No, sure. Um, uh, well, that's kind of part of the picture, I think. Uh, um, I uh, was regularly on a Sunday afternoon um, ask if I wanted, you know, to join mum and dad in their little old uh, car that they had purchased, their first motor car. Um, usually my sister and my younger brother uh, would also be, uh, you know, ask if they wanted to run out for a drive around the Stonehenge area. Well, often we would actually finish up at Stonehenge. It wasn't the place that it is. It was the place that it is today, but it wasn't treated the same way. It didn't have security guards and fencing around it. Uh, we actually used the fallen stones of Stonehenge near our home as our picnic table. Uh, there was... <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, we did. And, you know, I, I think we actually inserted one of the photographs in the book uh, of us there with mum and dad at the Stones. And that's what we would do on a quite a regular Sunday afternoon on our halfway around our little tour around the countryside. We would stop in, park up, and use one of the Stones there as our table uh, for our, our little picnic. Um, and, of course, that's a very different um, scene today. Um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, on this particular Sunday afternoon, uh, I was asked, you know, do you want to come out and have our drive around? And I, for some reason, I can never remember. I don't suppose it was particularly important. Um, I said, well, no, no, I don't think so, thanks, you know. And uh, my sister didn't go either. My younger brother did. And the three of them headed out. And before they got to Stonehenge, in north of a place called Andover in Hampshire, uh, very close to where we lived, um, they suddenly saw as they came out of a canopy of trees on this very small country lane, just a little more than one vehicle's width wide, um, was a disc. Um, a grey-coloured disc was wobbling uh, from side to side. It was very close to the ground, and uh, it was just at the edge of a pasture to their right. Um, my dad stopped the car and got out, and my younger brother joined him and stood leaning on the fence watching this disc about 100 yards away from them uh, doing this wobbling maneuver. And Mum stayed in the car. She was uh, afraid. Um, and uh, this uh, disc rose up a little bit, stabilized, and shot a very narrow, bright beam down onto the trees, much like the Travis Walton description of events. Uh, just to throw that in, of course, many others have had the same kind of experience. But um, this is what happened. And in moments, um, my mum thought this was object, this uh, UFO, was coming towards them and uh, 
screamed out to them to get back in the car. Again, that's much like the Travis Walton uh, and his mates calling him back to the vehicle. Right. And uh, they came back in, and not before they turned to see this object, uh, simply it, it moved so fast away to a blurry right exit that they couldn't see where it went. It was just a thump, and it was gone. Uh, and um, so they had this experience. Uh, what came out of that was that mum and dad uh, frequently talked about it. Initially, my younger brother did too. And yet today, mum and dad have now uh, both passed. Uh, this is well on the record. It's uh, something my whole family talked to them about, as well as myself. My younger brother, to this day, doesn't now remember a thing about any of it. Uh, it's a very bizarre situation, not that unusual, um, but this all biased me to uh, uh, acknowledging and accepting um, high strangeness events of a, a, a number of kinds. My dad was a military officer, a naval military officer. I had not only respected him as my father, but highly respected him as an engineer and a military uh, man. Um, and I knew that when my mum and dad and my younger brother, who now has just retired, it's not so, you know, such a young man, fully respected them. And as I have many others I've been privileged to interview on that subject, the UFO, uh, since, uh, since I uh, was kind of redirected from the crop circle research into the UFO because not only was it perceived initially to be connected, that is the crop circles connected with UFOs, they became absolutely so to me before this book uh, was written and disclosed those connections. So um, it, again, a, kind of a long-winded answer, but all necessary to explain you know, how, uh, how all this has come together and why uh, when I saw a set of crop circles, uh, in, e even when one looks at what is called inattentional blindness, uh, because I'd had the experience and uh, an experience with the UFO and had interviewed later, of course, other people, when I looked and saw not only a religious symbol, but something that spoke to me, basically, um, I stopped. Those that were looking in an unfamiliar setting to see something which was highly unexpected, that's really where the term comes in, uh, they were, what well, their subconscious no doubt registered there was something there, but they basically were blind to it. It was like looking at uh, family friends in, 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 a, in a room of many people. You can look right through them, and yet you are looking at your very own relatives and not seeing them. Uh, you know, it, inattentional blindness applies uh, to this period we're going through, and it will only be, I think, in my view, um, a, a, a number, a series of high strangeness events to our population that will eventually uh, allow us to not only to imagine, but to embrace what is happening so that we can help it manifest in a real sense in the world in which we are heading towards. And I think you summarize this with a quote that you include in the book. It says, if an object is truly unexpected, people are unlikely to notice it no matter how good or bad 
they are focusing attention. In other words, the only way to see the unexpected is for it to become expected. In that case, you were able to see it. And now because you gave meaning to crop circles, thousands, if not millions around the world are now able to see that. Do you think the same phenomenon can happen with UFOs, orbs, and the rest of it? Because somebody saw it first. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We are all... Um, whether we acknowledge this uh, uh, and 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 feel uh, um, the thanks uh, to those that have come before us, but we're always, you know, thankful to those who have taken and shouldered some burden uh, as being the first at anything. You know, those that have, you know, that 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 that, that declared the, the the planet was round, for example, that you know, Stevenson that invented the. The, the steam engine, you know, the, these people went through basic hell uh, to uh, basically to work with uh, or even to float the, the, the possibility of future, uh, their future um, uh, discovery. So, yes, I, yes, I absolutely do. I, you know, we, we have much to say within these different various communities of individuals. We get hung up on the ego and, you know, the... Um, the, the kind of power struggles that go on in all subjects is starting perhaps with, you know, what we've just experienced in Washington. You know, it, it's everywhere. It's all around us. Uh, we have to break ourselves loose of the individual um, power struggle and thank each and every single component of it that has brought about uh, a significant part in our evolution. So, uh, yes, I do is the answer to uh, that uh, question you pose, Mel. And I think it applies to all of the subjects on the cover of this book. You know, whether it's electronic voice phenomena, it is a reality, it's happening, and information is being conveyed. Uh, And across those other subjects, remote viewing and these things I'm sure we'll talk about, and I know that you have on your your great program over uh, these years. Uh, These things are real, and they're all part of a reality that we continue to question the larger part of the media um, dismiss, um, but that's that is not only is changing, it must change because unless we move into what is maturing under our feet, then of course we'll go the opposite direction and we'll come off of this crossroads that we're at the moment we're 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 on um, and head into the um, basically into the abyss because what was and what is you know doesn't fit the actual framework of the current reality um, will be um, returned to ashes. I mean, you know, everything evolves and it comes from one place and returns uh, to that same place. And we now have an opportunity to move ourselves with new understanding, with lessons learned from the past, and my goodness, there are many, to provide hope for our children, which is something we mentioned, you know, just a short time ago. We, we have to take the steps uh, and expect the now unexpected, because we are on the edge of this current reality uh, where we must anticipate with large-scale natural and man-made infrastructure, which is challenged and disintegrating, we must anticipate new phenomena which we will not be initially able to explain. But these are the front end 
of a new reality. They are the creation and the formation of their new buds forming new flowers on new shrubs. You know, that's where, that's where we are. We, we, we have to be able to embrace this to manifest it fully. And that's really at the core of what we're, we are offering, um, respectfully offering in the book on the edge of reality, bringing together uh, well, well researched, I say it not for myself and Cynthia here, but for people that have worked with us in providing that information. None of this has been simply placed, repeated, you know, information repeated from other people's books and other people's work. A lot of it has come from that work, but has been confirmed as real and important in terms of the overall picture that we're presenting. It, I believe, uh, probably for the first time in this uh, fashion. And in doing what we do, we research and we talk to a lot of people who experience strange phenomena or high strangeness. And a lot of times yeah. we find that this is a multi-generational issue. We always discuss new information, you and I. Do you think your father, who was involved in, in, in World War II, was he involved in any special projects? And as we know, there were Foo Fighters that many people saw. Was he involved in any, anything special during the time in World War II? Well, you, you are very astute uh, that I've never been asked that, and it is an important question. I don't, well, I have not thought to offer it, and when my dad was alive, which wasn't too many years ago, um, I didn't feel that it was my place to uh, involve him or bring him into what has turned out to be, you know, uh, half of my life. But dad has passed, and what he went to great trouble to relay to his family, including myself, was um, events that took place. Um, he was in a, a special unit of the Royal British Royal Navy and would not discuss certain aspects of his work uh, in World War II. Um, what he did say uh, on a number of occasions was that he had um, a déjà vu kind of experience whenever he would uh, the ship that he would then be on, and there were various ships, would would go into the docks, um, head into the docks in Malta, in the um, uh, Adria in, in the Adria in the Mediterranean there, and um, this experience uh, was powerful to him. Uh, he said that it was so powerful that he knew the streets, and yet he had, on the, of course, that first visit had never been there before. Uh, not, not in his, you know, physical state had he ever been to Malta, and yet he knew the various buildings, he knew um, what they were, he knew the cafes, the coffee shops, and the crew would go to him, and uh, he, they, you know, they called him Andy, uh, um, and would say, you know, Andy, where's the nearest this and the nearest that? Because it was getting round the, you know, the ship that he knew this place. Well, he did know this place, but he had never been there before. And so uh, he knew that that was um, what I call high strangeness and could never explain it. But he had this, he was an electrical engineer too, like myself. Uh, you know, when he left the military, um, he was my boss for quite a while and I later became his. And both as electrical engineers, he had this... Um, 
a fascination with magnetism. He, he couldn't leave it alone. He was always looking at playing and suggesting uh, certain things to me with regard to this force. Uh, so I, I, I guess the answer is uh, there's more to my dad than we in our family uh, have ever been able to establish, and nor my dad either could account for some of the things that happened to him. I remember having a conversation as a child with a great uncle I had. He was a chemical engineer, and I asked him, you know, why do you like engineering? And his answer was very simple. I like exact science. I like things that are black and white. I like how I can expect the result of something with 100% accuracy. Yeah. How does an engineer like you or your father reconcile black and white with these gray areas? Well, I guess what we're doing, we, we kind of gather data. The first step is to gather data. It's the boring piece, but it has to be done. That, that's kind of like where we humans and certainly engineers and scientists come at almost anything. Uh, you, so we gather the data, and that's what we did in 83 right through to, uh, well, probably the mid-90s before another um, form of suggestions came forward from that data and so we looked at the data we looked for correlations in the data uh, but I have to tell you Mel um, the most surprising uh, development came after all of these years of gathering data and looking at the science looking at you know plant analysis looking at magnetism uh, magnetic profiles soil analysis um, the correlations in the alignment of the designs with man-made features and other um, features on our planet. All kinds of uh, efforts have been applied to the crop circle research, but it was only when um, in the year 1999 and 2000, and I know we covered this extensively, I think it was in our last program together, uh, when I was uh, asked, I didn't make this approach, but I was asked by Lawrence Rockefeller, in New York to, if I was, would wish to uh, compile um, a couple of projects which I felt could uh, enhance and speed up our understanding of the crop circle mystery, um, and he would fund them, or at least he would consider fun funding them. And of course, <laughs> I was only too happy to oblige because I personally and my family have funded everything else uh, for all these years before and since. And so um, I did that. And the project that I first proposed, um, well, the second one was magnetism, the magnetic profile, but just to put that aside, the other one, which turned into the most significant, where this big development came um, was to look at hoaxing because it would separate, I thought, that that we would be able to ascertain um, needed, required uh, other resources, real financial and manual resources, scientific resources, to unravel the real mystery. Was let's remove the man-made mystery part of the mystery. And so uh, a lot was thrown at it, uh, quite a few thousands of dollars at, at private detectives and agencies they have at their uh, call, uh, those that you and I don't, you know, that they, they are able to tap into the intelligence services, etc., uh, the kind of thing that is secretly done to us now, uh, they are able to do on a paid basis. And um, 
I was able to ascertain that in that two-year period that approximately 80% were being made by people. Well, that was in the year 2000, that's 13 years ago. But this is where the surprise came. You know, I was uh, malaised, uh, I was really set upon <laughs> by uh, many, if not most, of the crop circle community, research community, because I was even dare to mention the word hoaxing, uh, you know, which interfered with, you know, all kinds of things, the, the, the kind of business that businesses that have been built up around the subject, you know, books of which I've written, um, you know, television programs, radio programs, all kinds of things that, 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 that you know, required uh, subject material and crop circles was one of them. So how dare I remove any part of the enthusiasm that people had for it by saying there was hoaxing? Well, you know, this is, as you said, you know, how does an engineer look at the black and white uh, of this subject when there are so many imponderables and unknowns? Well, the data eventually, and this investigation which I'm now referring to, led me to separate it and look at the black and white of it. And the black and white of it at that time was 80% are made by people, approximately 20%, and it turned out to be the most... Uh, this is counterintuitive, I always have to say this, because it is counterintuitive. The more simple the design, the more likely it was... Um, to be real. Uh, in other words, we couldn't explain them. Well, I looked at then the hoaxing, the 80%. How could this have embedded itself in such um, an unseen way, uh, an undeclared way for such a long period of time throughout the world? And the answer to that was extremely interesting because the people that were making them Many of them, uh, well, of course, all of the 80%, but many of that 80% were being made by people who would have a pattern induced into their mind. And I'm using that term because these people tell me, have, have told me, and I've now worked with them for the last 13 years, being confident enough now to put it in a book, as we have in this book, you know, for the first time, with their permission, names are given, names are named. Um, these people would have an urge, just like you and I would think that, well, where did that just thought just come from? That doesn't feel like my thought, and yet I have to acknowledge it is. Well, these people would get an urge to make a specific design and would be led and I'm just going to leave that term there, I think, for people to read about because it does need to be, you know, really digested. Uh, it kind of led to place them in very specific places. Well, here I was listening, Mel, to people that I had not had a great deal of respect for telling me of high strangeness events that had occurred to me too and to other people that I knew well and respected, like Pat Delgado, former NASA, you know, my first co-author. We had as teams investigating this repeated high strangeness 
apparent intelligent interactions with something that appeared to be sat on our shoulder. And I don't mean that physically, although perhaps it was, just like a canary sat or a parrot sat on your shoulder, listening to you, reading your thoughts, listening to conversations, and would participate. So when we would suggest something in our conversations over a pint of beer in a British pub, we would share the data, share the discoveries, and then have them inserted or manipulated the very within hours, within hours, and in very specific places again by something else. We knew we didn't create those circles, and yet something else was. So what I came out of that with, and is now part of this book, which led us into a whole different range of other subjects, was that we are engaged in somebody's program. I don't know whose program that is. I still am searching for the meaning God. I mean, this is such an encompassing, wide, um, angled research and investigation. You can go anywhere with this. You know, you, you can ask so many questions, but we are getting some answers if we're big enough to accept them and work with them. If, we, if, if intelligence and interaction with our species makes us feel uncomfortable enough that the media laugh at us and won't engage us, then it's an injustice and, and to all, for all of us, to all of us, as long as we are searching for and sincerely looking for and communicating truth, then that is our foundation on which we should be able confidently to move this whole debate forward. Anything that I have said in this book that is untrue, I deserve and wish to be challenged on. Because if this book is even half right, Mal, then Nothing is quite the same way as it appears. Nothing. And so, you know, uh, this is the day, this is the time that we have to, for a number of reasons, not only our security and our livelihood, but for our future technology and the ability to live on a changing planet, a changing environment, we must have the truth. And if it's governments that are holding it from us, religious institutions, whether it's banks, insurance companies, whoever it is, we the people must work with the truth and doors must open. And regardless of what we think of crop circles, who or what makes them, at least it teaches us something very important. And I said this earlier on, to look for patterns in nature and consequently see the world in new ways. Isn't this what your experience and the experience of so many others is teaching us? Yes, it is. It is exactly that, Mel, that um, our, our world is, is different to the way that we perceived it to be. And uh, we, we should uh, not only embrace it, but, uh, you know, uh, see as fun and exciting enjoy the challenges that these things, including these patterns, are uh, are challenging us to understand. You know, if all of them were produced by man, it doesn't remove one iota how and why they were placed there 
and why they were chosen to be the forms they are and the placements they have been placed in. Uh, you know, I can give you examples. There are many in the book as to how this subject and whoever or whatever is behind this subject, and I have no reason to believe it's not the same source behind every subject, that if, if, in, if we concentrate on the stage of the crop circles, that is, is, a, is a great place because it has a beginning and an end. You know, we came in at what we believe to be the beginning uh, pretty well. I mean, 1975, I think, is pretty well established as the actual beginning. 1983, uh, the first, the research began uh, in a real sense into this. But, you know, the actual subject has given us, given us a stage where we can uh, look at each component part as it evolves. We have seen the patterns evolve, their locations be secured, uh, understood and secured, and we discuss that uh, as to why that place, why that pattern, what it means. And then we have seen evolve too uh, the interest when when we the you could say the engineers and scientists start to communicate what was happening to the world which we did in those first television and radio programs in the 80s then we had uh, you know the the clandestine approaches from the CIA and MI5 and 6 in Britain I've had my run-ins with with both uh, that that I've at my own research have discovered them to be that and others that perhaps I've not known that have come in close to my, my boundaries have learned who my contacts are and have integrated themselves within the research I highly suspect that to be so and uh, off off air I, I could discuss names but I wouldn't of course not do so on air it would be uh, very unwise but all these things the ev evolution of humanity as we run through uh, you know each of our uh, our lessons along this path uh, we get to see how how we work how how we think what we're prepared to do with what we have been offered and we are now at this crossroads with each subject and the crop circles enabled me to see it for what I do I'm very very convinced that we've got the answers to a lot of this now that we do have an understanding as to what we were being shown and why we were being shown it it can be boiled down and perhaps that's for the more towards the end of the program for the message but it can be fairly confidently whittled down now to a, a, a to a message you know to information that we either uh, take on board and work with in a real sense a physical real sense um, or we just move on and to that'll be for other people and another day it won't be with me so if governments say there's nothing going on with crop circles and they're man-made why do we see so many black helicopters and you have documented this and many others have why for example you go to a tv station where you're supposed to appear and they lose power That's is this right. all coincidence no it isn't it's not coincidence at all um there are um i think there's more than um one grouping within most of these very large organizations you know i i happen to believe um i mean well, let me just start here i i've actually have had family members uh, involved 
directly engaged, uh, employed in the intelligence services. Uh, you know, I, I was advising at one point Margaret Thatcher's cabinet, um, uh, the Secretary of State for the Environment in the Margaret Thatcher government is who I was advising on this subject. I attended meetings with the Ministry of Defence in London on the UFO and crop circle subjects. You know, I've, I've been um, honoured to privileged to be given access to uh, people and places that not many people ha have access to. And what I know is that there's an ugly side and a, um, you, you know, a loyal, um, compassionate, uh, professional side to these organizations. It's like any organization. You know, you have factions that build within them. They look after their own turf and they eventually finish up having separate or ununited uh, agendas. And, you know, if, if, if we were just to nail one that's operating under our feet right now, started with Echelon, you know, some years ago, little referred to, high top secret, uh, secret operation of securing data in all forms, emails, you know, letters, um, the old-fashioned stuff, the fax machines, the telephone calls, you know, internet search lines, all those things were going, being pulled off by um, the American government along with parties to that uh, agreement and secret operation, the British government, the Australian government, and the Canadian government. You know, I, I was uh, given inside information at that time, and I'll be on air for the first time say this because I don't think this, this is a time to mess around with it any longer. I, as a then a British citizen, I am now a joint British-US citizen. Um, at that time, I was a British citizen in possession of certain information, and I wrote a letter to my Member of Parliament about the Echelon program when it was uh, not acknowledged that it existed. It still isn't acknowledged that it existed, uh, even though they've moved on and the NSA are now involved in the multiple mass um, you know, obviously monitoring of all systems. And even though they've lied about it, and we have Edward Snowden to thank, uh, courageously thank, uh, for bringing out, uh, you know, this um, um, destruction of the American dream in all its forms. Uh, but, you know, it moved on to other programs. This went up the chain, and I actually received, in response to my communication, shows you how sensitive it is from the Deputy Prime Minister at that time in Great Britain. So, um, uh, you know, kind of, I guess I'm digging myself into a, a separate um, kind of series of um, discussions here. But they exist. It is no coincidence um, that strange things have happened, you know, uh, when we have been getting close to certain uh, developments in the crop circle subject. I was approached myself directly after a BBC program. Uh, perhaps I will be after this one, Mel, after going into some of this stuff. <laughs> but I was on air in BBC television um, program back in the early 90s. Um, actually, I think it was 1989, thinking about it. Um, where they, that is the CIA at the time, planted an individual in the audience. It was a live program. And this individual later turned up, about six months later, at my front door, 
Um, and he had been taped. I mean, I, I've got, I'm not going to get into this um, on, on air, uh, you know, as to names or anything like that. But um, this individual who was claimed to have seen a crop circle form of all things that, that kind of legitimized his presence at my door six months later, his, his story on air uh, went out to the British people, went out to the world. It's probably on YouTube right now. Um, and he then appears at my door um, instructing me to call to my address, my, my, my home, uh, then with my previous wife, my first wife, um, instructing me to call Pat Delgado, my first co-author. He and I were, had appeared on that program to my home there and then. I looked at this guy, I recognized him, he's an unusual looking man, and uh, sorry, I've just had a change in the ambience in this room as I'm speaking to you, that's very strange, the lights have dipped, uh, there's a hissing in my head as I'm speaking to you, um, that's very strange, isn't it? Uh, just I'm getting flickering on my side too, that's strange shit as well. Isn't that bizarre, that, hmm. that's... That is bizarre. I've just hit that button and a hissing sounded right inside my head. Almost took me right off the subject there. Um, to say, I thought I've just to bring that to your attention there, Mel, for whatever that is worth. Sure. Um, this um, guy uh, instructed me to get Pat Delgado to my door. And that was the beginning of a very long series of threats from, he claimed to be CIA, um, that I was to uh, go on to a, 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 what they would arrange as a very major television interview that they would initially uh, take out from the equation other researchers, and they did, following this um, particular series of meetings. And I was to tell the world uh, at, at this future time uh, that the crop, circle, uh, crop circles were all hoaxes. And they were going to produce uh, a, a film, a video um, of a ball of light producing them and would then float this uh, video, which later became known as the Oliver's Castle video, is my belief. Um, they told me that that was going to happen years before it was produced and that uh, on the back of what would turn out to be two promises of a potential un, um, unexplained uh, mysteries would have be given and they would produce the um, definitive hoaxing behind both the crop circles, and I would be doing that, and the balls of light UFO as a part of the crop circle subject. Uh, this was all discussed at that time, and uh, I refused to go ahead with this and um, very ugly telephone calls uh, followed for quite some time. And I actually uh, uh, sought through the Home Office, the British government, uh, to uh, seek some kind of um, help uh, because I was threatened with people move, walking in front of my house on a regular basis um, and, uh, you know, letting me know that I was being uh, watched very closely and would not proceed uh, with this subject. Well, uh, I am still here. I, I have had a number of, of brushes uh, since that time. But um, my belief is that the one of these factions inside of the Intel uh, community 
uh, are actually with us. Uh, I, I, I know this is shared by a number of people you've interviewed, and we both know uh, that there are, there are two sides to um, you know that are at work, uh, it, it, and um, I, goodness knows uh, who will come out on the front of it. Uh, all I know is that every night when I go to sleep, uh, I ask for uh, help from uh, you know from whoever and whatever is listening. And um, what I do is I uh, assure um, those entities and those forces that I am seeking to improve uh, our lot and that, that all we're looking for is what we are entitled to, and that is uh, the truth. So uh, that's where I place my own confidence and security and to hell uh, with the rest of them. <laughs> that's the way to live and not being in fear i think it's very important i've talked to uh, other colleagues who they, they they are in fear and they cannot conduct their interviews the right way they all of a sudden disappear they get another job they you know you, you seem to be living without fear and that's why it keeps you going but the oliver Ca oliver's castle video was that a, a hoax uh, yes it was um i i, I uh... Um, again, again, privileged. Um, I was uh, given help. Um, well, it was part of that funding with uh, Lawrence Rockefeller um, to look into that because at the time it was suspected, uh, well, by me certainly as being potentially, uh, technically possible to have been hoaxed. But I didn't have that, as, uh, you know, knowledge to be certain. Uh, you know, the, the uh, original film was offered to me by the person who filmed it. Uh, the following day, I was asked to meet him and uh, took Cynthia as my kind of security, uh, as my second pair of eyes, and met this man uh, next to Silbury Hill in a pub there, uh, Wagon and Horses pub. Uh, as I turned up, he obviously had his uh, lookouts there, too. Uh, there were several people that were kind of out of place and pretty obviously there to ensure that I came as promised and, uh, you know, um, was going to behave myself, I guess. But uh, I, I did have uh, steps being taken uh, to ensure that what was being said was recorded, etc. Well, long story short, is that I was shown the film in the actual camera first, and it was uh, extraordinary. I mean, I, 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 there is no question that what I was seeing was extraordinary. But I was looking in a small viewfinder, um, and um, you know, there was sound that I was hearing, which was the sound of this person who said his name was Whaley, turned out ultimately to be Wayby, um, and uh, 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 also uh, thanks to undercover work by a private detective agency that was funded um, on my behalf to infiltrate the um, company in Bath, uh, uh, England, uh, where uh, a, a recording studio, uh, I won't name it, um, is, is, uh, operates. And uh, yes, it was produced um, by that company, by two when you people. Say, when you say recording studio, special effects studio, I presume? Yes. Yes, it was. Um, uh, you know, it ultimately, the footage was shown of how they did it by the people involved, and um, they asked for a sum of money uh, to, um, first of all, uh, they were looking for money uh, to sell what was 
being put forward as the real thing, you know, an actual crop series of crop circles formed by uh, two orbs of light. You know, you've seen the footage that was being offered uh, to networks. Uh, th uh, you know, they hoped through m my, um, um, you know, because I'm, you know, kind of p a public figure in the subject. They were hoping that my profile would bring enough interest uh, if I were to go along with the fact that I thought it was real, and initially I, I said it, it could be, I mean, I didn't know. And uh, so they were looking for cash uh, on that. Um, but ultimately, when I stated, as I've always done, the outcome of the investigation, which was most of it was done not by me at all, but on my behalf by private detective agencies, uh, who had infiltrated this company and the uh, family of the guy behind uh, the one, you know, the one that was pushing the buttons and uh, doing the work. The guy that I met uh, with the footage uh, who claimed to have been on the hillside and actually filmed it. And uh, indeed, he was on the hillside and filmed footage that was then worked on to make it look like, you know, the patterns were being created uh, by the two UFOs. But when I made that um, public, they then, many months later, uh, came forward, not through me. They had nothing more to do with me because I, I had kind of, uh, you know, uh, I guess, basically um, destroyed their little plan. But you rocked the you rocked the crop circle cottage industry boat. I certainly did. I certainly did, and that was yet another, um, you know, cross that I had to bear along this particular um, path. But uh, they they did then approach uh, Nippon Television, um, NTV in Japan, and offered them the footage, uh, which because I knew the production people in Japan, uh, I've worked with them many times. Um, they then gave me um, a, a, a copy, which I was asked not to release, which I have not done, of course. Um, they were given a copy and asked if they would buy it for a substantial sum of money of how they fooled the world with the um, Oliver's Castle footage. So I've seen the footage of them actually making the hoax, which they, both of which they tried to sell uh, to the public. Now, the question is, a lot of them are hoaxed, yes. What about the ones, that the 20%? Or what if it's only 1%? Isn't that enough to allow people to continue investigating the phenomenon? Yes, and it should continue. Uh, it, it, this is where, uh, you know, I've been alarmed at the very few real, uh, real true, uh, you know, hardened researchers that are still out there that have not been prepared just to wipe away the dirt you know, push the egos to the side, take advantage of my work, which is always offered, is always available. My phone is answered. My emails are always answered. There's nothing that goes through my website that I don't see. Uh, you know, why is it that information that has been hard-earned is not followed up? We, we, we appear to be, let's say we, too many people are too interested in securing old ground so that if they said in the past they're all real or they're the coming of the Lord or, you know, they, they're the creation of a new religion, that they must secure that position by altering, adjusting or denying the actual reality and the actual facts. It is a crying shame because what we have here is dynamite. I mean, what we have here is truly um, important in every aspect of human endeavor. 
you know, it, 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 it absolutely is. I have traveled myself to the outback of Australia. I've spent six weeks out there in the outback of Australia looking at circles that appeared miles away, miles away from um, the centers of habitation. You know, I've been to Japan where they have appeared in the rice paddy fields. You know, in central southern England, I've visited over 2,000 of the 12,000 in the database. And I've traveled this country of the United States too, to you know, Herkimer and these other places where undoubtedly something bizarre is happening. But, but again, Mel, just to remind both of us and your audience that we must look at all of it. We, we have to embrace those people who have deceived us. We have to embrace their story because their story is as important as the 20%. You know, it's, it's the lies and the manipulations in other subjects that run parallel to the crop circles. It's the lies and manipulation in we have to learn that there are individuals that have seemingly got this bias wired into them that will happily take us over the cliff edge in politics. And again, we've just seen it in Washington that will take our banking system to the very place of total destruction, for what reason? For what reason? What is behind these people? What is it that drives these different segments of society to be who and what they are? Well, these other very strange research subjects, which the media would far rather us not look at, and our governments and religions would far rather us not think about, well, these things hold the answers. It's, it's like, you know, the curtains have been drawn across the very area, the dynamic areas that give us the answers to all the other questions. So, you know, whilst we're concentrating on what we're told religion represents, on what we are told our government is doing for our, our best and our good, you know, we are to accept that when the, the U.S. says, for example, we're not releasing uh, the, any UFO documents because there's nothing in it, there's, there's no security implications, etc., when their fellow Brits and Australians and New Zealand and Brazil and, you know, and France and these other governments have said quite the opposite. You know, they've come forward and shown the world there's a lot in it. And when we're allowed as a species to look and share all those things that we haven't known before, all those strange things that we don't talk about one-to-one, -one, you know, the thing that happened to me that I didn't talk to anybody but my family and doctors about, and those that since I've done so, people like Greer, Stephen Greer and others, have privately and now publicly shared their own experiences. We initially, we initially look at one another and cry. And, you know, it's, it's relief that we've been able to share with others something that has been kept secret and suddenly to find that almost everybody has got something like that that they don't talk about. It's, it's this, and I, I think I maybe go on to tell you something that's happened relatively recently that um, dictated to me that it is extremely important, in fact, vital, that we now each and every one of us in our relationships, in a knowledge of who we are as an individual, and in our personal relationships, 
And then in country for country, you know, again, look in the mirror. Look, look, in, look in the mirror and, and be truthful. Let, let us discuss those things that we've not been understanding, that we've experienced personally, because it is only by personal experience that we ever really believe. And when we see and hear from others who are having the same experience, our world changes. It has to change. It changes because our information base is different and we start to mature and develop what it is we've then shared. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you and I have perhaps not had this part of this discussion before, and, and I would look forward to it. You know, I, I've, uh, I, I've always respected you for, for your work and the way that you do your work, and I would strongly suspect that you have had your own experiences of which perhaps you've not, perhaps I only offer that as a, you know, a, a, I guess I'm asking you in a way, um, you know, experiences that relate to some of these things and that has led you to do the very job you are doing. It's what's led me to be doing what I'm doing. Stephen Greer, Steve Bassett, you know, all these people are doing... Dr. Dr. Linky Tai. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And yes, you were, that's right, you were at that very presentation, Mel, down there in, I believe, New Mexico. Actually, Arizona, Rio Rico. That Rio Rico, absolutely. When the, the, the four of us, you know, all disclosed things that had happened uh, to us um, and were emotionally very, very um, touched by it all. You know, I think of, you know, people like you, Dr. Linkitai, um, and we have to take our, our one and only intermission in a minute, but Dr. Linkitai, Dr. Stephen Greer, even Grant Cameron, engineer, you were an engineer. People go through life and they, you know, they start researching, but they keep their personal stories to themselves. I kept, you know, probably not that many to myself because I, what happened to me I still cannot explain. I still cannot put my finger on it, but I can tell you one thing. Instead of me questioning it and stopping, I just continue moving forward. And I think it's if it's a mission, if for you it was a mission, that 415 security alarm going off in your home. Yeah. The same thing happened, and we discussed this a long time ago. The same thing used to happen to me at 11.30 p.m., the security alarm. Anybody who, who wonders what this is all about, they can listen to our first interview and the disclosure statement that I made on my website. But even Grant and I discussed this. The consciousness is a big, big part of the equation. And a lot of people like you, like him, like Greer, who were talking about this subject, all of a sudden, once the consciousness variable came about, things seemed to be changing. You know, our ancestors looked at the night sky and, and were motivated to build the telescope. Something sparked to somebody. They built the telescope. Then the airships then the rockets, and now even the Hubble telescope. We're getting closer and closer to hopefully finding life outside of our planet, for most of the population, that is, because there's plenty of people that you and I know who say that it's already here. But we have to take our one and only intermission. We've only scratched the surface. If you think that Colin only discusses crop circles, you are wrong. He discusses so much more. In fact, the the Australian radar anomalies, the the these circles showing on radar, you'll you'll talk about this, puncture holes in the sky. Some of the few things we'll discuss when we get back on the edge of reality. The book. How can people buy it, Colin? 
Oh, they can buy it pretty well in any bookstore, but Amazon and Barnes and Noble, uh, they're both uh, fully stocked uh, with the book, or they can go onto my website, uh, colinandrews.net. Thanks, Mel. Excellent. My pleasure. Well, folks, don't go anywhere. This is a fascinating conversation. And you know, always when I talk to Colin Andrews, something new comes about. So don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important interview. To listen to the rest, go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back. Enjoy.
This is A.C. Griffith, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.